0: One into the night. Jimmy Rollins is going to try for three. Here he comes in the air, down the right field line. Way right back there, on an RBI hit by Mitchie Poole. She's the
1: throw to the plate. It's in the air. He is out. Oh. The 0-2 pitch, swinging a miss. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm Nathan Ackerman coming at you with another episode during Phillies spring training on the heels of what was a pretty newsy week, specifically on the Andrew Painter front. Of course, he made his spring train, his first spring training start last week. He looked every bit the part of the number six overall prospect and the reason why um, people have him as had him, we can get into that, but had him had him as an outside chance to possibly make the starting staff out of spring training, touched 99 on the gun, uh, two innings, one run, all of that good stuff. He looked great. And then a few days later, some elbow problems. He was um, came to camp a little bit tender the next day, um, has not pitched since. There's been kind of a lag as far as the updates go on that front. Uh, Todd Zalecki of MLB.com says that there does not seem to be any real concern about painters' long-term health, um, Rob Thompson said via Alex Coffee of The Enquirer. We're still trying to get all the info. Once we get it all read, he's such an important guy in our organization, Young Top Prospect. We just want to make sure the information is right, and we'll give it to you at that point. And then he was asked whether there are people looking at a second opinion. He said, there's a lot of people taking a look at stuff. We just want everything to be right. So it's been a few days since the tender elbow was sort of first emerged in the headlines. Um, Not been a really clear update yet. You know, certainly a lot of people are talking about it because it's arguably the most important storyline to come out of Philly's camp so far. But Joining me to talk about Painter and all the latest from Phil's camp is somebody who was there, just like last week, one of our own, somebody who was there. Tim Kelly, how you doing? Thanks for joining the pod. Um, Give me your takeaways from the the time you spent at spring training.
0: Well, I mean, when I was down there, the the first day I was down there was Friday, regular game, nothing crazy happened. And then at the very end of our post-game media session with Rob Thompson, he goes, oh, I have an update and kind of revealed the stuff on Andrew Painter. And I figured, wow, I'll be here uh, this weekend covering the games and uh, I'll I'll get to hear kind of what the update is. And that has not ended up happening. And it it just makes you wonder kind of who exactly is controlling this process or uh, how many different cooks are on the kitchen, so to speak, because it doesn't feel like this is something that should be that difficult to get an update, like beyond saying it, a tender, but we don't even really know exactly what's going on. Rob Thompson said he knew this, I believe was Saturday. He knew what test painter was undergoing, but he declined to get into it. I, I, I've i never really heard of uh, teams being that uh, unwilling to just say he's having an MRI, he's doing this, whatever, uh, so, I mean, naturally, you're you're led to kind of believe that something else is up here. And Scott Boris is his agent. He was at spring training on my, or on Tuesday, I believe. And Alex Coffee of the Philadelphia Inquirer said, uh, or Boris said via Alex Coffee, uh, "quote I have extensive studies on young pitchers with extreme velocity at young ages." Andrew is aware and understands his development requires great attention and patience. So his rare skill extends throughout a long MLB career, and that's absolutely true. I'm not exactly sure what's going on with this process. Uh, They announced it on Friday, but then Thursday was the day he came in feeling that way. Meaning uh, it's been quite a bit now. So it's a strange situation. It's something worth monitoring. Obviously, does not appear to be a chance now that he's on the opening day roster. But if they avoided Tommy John surgery or one of the worst outcomes possible, then that's obviously good for the Phillies, Nathan.
1: Yeah, I I will say when this news first came out, I was sort of in the boat of, oh, you know, he's 19. He just made his first start, probably a little bit amped up. He might just be feeling sore. And then as the days kind of wore on and there was no update, I was kind of like, hmm, maybe this is a little more serious. And you can tell me whether um, I sort of am, am assessing the situation right. But. My general read on things is that you don't get second opinions when there might not be the possibility that something is really serious long term, right? You don't get second opinions when somebody's just a little bit fatigued after their first start, right? And so now you have, sure, there's the report that there's not any serious long term concern about his health. But there's also the kind of like, what kind of test is he taking? Oh, we're not going to disclose that. Um, Is he getting second? opinions well a lot of people are looking at a lot of stuff now you have the agent in camp and i don't know if he was already planning on being there but just the whole involvement in the whole dragging the feet and the not really disclosing what exactly is happening i think they know they 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 know they have their finger on the pulse they know that everybody's talking about this guy and everybody was talking about him before he got quote-unquote injured right and so like doesn't it seem like they'd want to get this a little bit under control and say trust me he's fine nothing's going on but that doesn't seem exactly the word out of camp so am i wrong in thinking like he's probably fine it's probably just a little tenderness but with how many people are involved and how vague they're being around all this it's just it's just a a little weird a little weird
0: well it makes you think someone else is controlling the process the phillies have a, a very good pr team so uh it makes me think that someone else and that's someone else being Scott Boris, who not only represents painter, but Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins and go down the list, a bunch of the biggest stars on the Phillies and in the sport, he's arguably the most powerful non-player there is maybe even more than Rob Manfred. So uh, for whatever reason, maybe they have wanted to keep this private. I, I would just say at this point, like, Whatever advantage you thought you were getting from kind of keeping things private, I think it's had the the opposite effect of it's made it's led kind of a void where people think that or are left to speculate on what is taking place. We don't know if he's gotten multiple opinions. We don't know if they feared Tommy John. We don't know any of this. Now, seemingly the report from Todd Zalecki, who writes for MLB.com, is I believe now the most uh, long tenured Phillies beat writer if he if there was still a thought that he might need tommy john surgery i don't think there would be a report coming out that quote there does not seem to be concern about painter's long-term health so take that for what it's worth and i mean that's all we really know right now
1: yeah And, and as far as i mean obviously the long term is everyone's concern right now because the the thought process with with him was if he can contribute this year great this is maybe like out of you know the next five years that is probably their world series window and this might be the best chance out of all of them and if he's able to contribute that'd be awesome but obviously now especially with this sort of issue I'll just call it an issue because I don't know exactly what it is injury like fatigue tenderness um you know it seems of of course like that timeline might be pushed back a little bit uh, prior to to the pod, I was like pulling up Michael Plassmeyer's game log, and then I realized—is there really any point in this? Um, seems like it's pretty much him versus Falter for that fifth spot. Now it's maybe Falter has the edge, but um, I, I mean, not—we don't need to do a whole five minutes on this. Not everyone's concerned about. Oh, who's the fifth starter going to be now? That it's not, or it's probably not going to be him. But um, I don't know. What do you think about obviously the 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 long term is front of everyone's mind here. But any any quick thoughts on how it impacts, let's say the twenty twenty three April Phillies?
0: Well, I would say I think Billy Falter is going to get that job. He pitched very well in the second half of last year, and I would say from a more long term perspective, not only does this maybe prevent him from being. I don't know maybe he still will pitch for the Phillies in 2023 but it prevents him from throwing like 120 130 140 innings this year which could prevent him from being able to throw 175 or more innings next year so that's kind of something that I've thought of.
1: yeah I don't know I guess we'll just have to wait and see but um yeah obviously again the 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 Long he's such a crucial part of of the i i had somebody ask me just to put this into 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 context i had somebody ask me if you're the team right and there's there's a draft where everybody except for five five players of of your choice is put into a draft and you can keep five guys only five uh who are who are those five i would probably rank andrew painter number one and if he's not number one it's bryce harper and 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 Andrew Painter's number two so like in terms of most important players in the uh, organization he seems like he's got to be I mean top two if not top one I'd probably
0: have him closer to four I'd still put Nola assuming there's a deal and Trey Turner above him because I think they have enough good years but yeah your point is is well made
1: yeah so that's that's obviously what um, is everybody's main concern right now but um if Andrew Painter is getting I guess the majority of the headlines in camp but somebody else who's not too far behind Alec Bohm is lighting the world on fire in spring he's one of those guys who um you know people sort of are are looking for kind of that breakout year here in 2023 he was took a step forward in 2022 he obviously had the month of July where he hit like 436 with an OPS above a thousand it just obliterated the baseball. Um, and he's doing more of that here in spring. He's driving the ball. He has three homers so far, one to each part of the field and one that was an absolute bomb to left center field. Tim, what, what have been your takeaways from him this spring? It looks like he's added about 10, 15 pounds and he looks a lot stronger. He looks like he's pulling the ball with authority more. Um, what have you seen from him? What have, what have been the things that have Stood out to you about 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 him in spring training so far?
0: Yeah, I, he talked about this a bit the other day, essentially saying that like he didn't do anything that different this off season. But when you're 26, your body responds to things different than when you're 23 or 24. So yeah. I, I think maybe he's finally filled out, and this is like his final form physically that he, he's finished developing from that sense, and he's even bigger than he was, in, in, in a good way. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's still capable of going the other way. He hit a ball 440 feet to right center field the other day. And people have gotten on me once in a while over the past few years when I say this is a guy that should be hitting 25 to 30 home runs a season. I'm not saying he needs to become like, Uh, what Ryan Howard was late in his career or Chris Davis or someone that was like a three true outcomes guy. That's either going to be a walk, a home run, or a strikeout. By no means am I saying that what I'm saying is this is someone that's six foot five or six, uh, a specimen athletically and should be able to drive the ball out of the ballpark. He should be a doubles hitter primarily, but someone that drives the ball out of the ballpark. And I talked to both Larry Boa and Charlie Manuel at camp. And they essentially said that. And I, I mean, Nathan, we saw uh, just some absolute tanks that he's hit so far in spring training. Yeah. There were certainly ones last year. Like he he doesn't have he has like 15 or 16 home runs in his career. But I mean, I go back to the Brewers one off Josh Hader, like when he's hit his first home run in Atlanta on that Sunday night game, when he's yeah. hit the ball out of the park, they've been long. Almost every single one of them has been 400 plus feet Uh, It just it makes you think if he can put this together and he's hitting 350 with three home runs and six RBIs so far in spring training and I don't like to get too carried away with spring training we obviously remember what Mickey Moniak was doing just a year ago but this feels like he might be starting to really click into what he can be offensively and what made him the number three overall pick in his year in the draft.
1: Yeah. And he he opened camp with a lot of buzz because um, he was a popular breakout pick even before spring training started. And even before uh, the reports came out that he had added 10, 15 pounds, whatever it is. Um, and I I have to say, I was a little bit, um, I, I I wasn't quite fully there yet because of the reasons that you said, I was like, I need to see more power from him. When you look at his size, when you look at his frame, the fact that he's, I mean, he's young, but he's not super young i mean he's 26 but um you know it is it is something it is that's an aspect of his game that you really want to see take a step forward now um it's it's great he hit two upper 200s 280 290 whatever he hit last year but um you're gonna need to see some pop from him and then i saw the ball that he hit to straight away center field and then i saw the ball that he pulled to left center field which if the one to right field was 440, the one to left field had to have been like 475 or 480. Uh, and then he went the other way with that one, as you as you said. And I think I'm fully there now. It's um, it's he just looks like he's driving the ball all over the field. And, um, you know, another reason why I was a little bit slow to slow to hop on was because, like I said, last year he was good. He took a step forward for sure. But if you look outside of the month of July, and I know you can't really do this all the time, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to say like, yeah, if you throw out his best month, he wasn't that, that, that great, but it was really just that month where he was um, uh, great. And then every other month outside of that was, you know, it was fine, but he was below 700 most of those months in the OPS um, standpoint, but yeah. So that, that, that was why I sort of entered camp, maybe lagging behind most on sort of the boom breakout season. And I think just seeing him so far and seeing how much confidence he has the ball, he hit to left field. Um, the one that might've gone four eighty, like he knew that right off the bat, he sort of did a little skip, a little bat toss, um, which is something that, you know, it's kind of cliche, but that's the kind of thing with, with him where like when his confidence is, is high, he's, you, you can almost see it in a tangible way on the, on the field. And when it's low, it, you, you know, it's kind of affected him too in the past. And I think um, obviously the, you know, I, I, I effing hate this place thing was great for him in the, in the long run. And it seemed like it took kind of a weight off of his back there, but he just looks like he's so much more confident. He's using the whole field and he's hitting four power to the pole side, which is like number one on the things that you kind of wanted to see from him heading into 2023.
0: Yeah, I mean, most of the time you're talking about, like, his predecessor, Michael Franco, his problem, one of his problems was that he only pulled the ball. Like, he really wasn't the guy that went to the opposite field. Boehm has kind of been the opposite, which is rare, but it's probably easier to teach a guy to pull the ball than to go the other way, especially when you have the talent of Boehm and he's giving you flashes of it. I don't know if he's going to be an all-star, but uh, I, I know I saw Cespedes' family barbecue the other day tweet something to the effect of Alec Bohm's going to be an all-star in 2023 just so you know. Uh I don't know. I mean, you are you're in the same league as Manny Machado and Nolan Arenado. Like the it's third base is a difficult position to make the all-star team at Austin Riley like go down the list, but and he's never going to grade out well defensively. Like for whatever he he got it together last year defensively. But he's still ranked as one of the worst defenders at the position. He has moments of brilliance, but realistically, he should be a DH or a first baseman. And it's entirely possible if he shows them enough offensively this year, he is one of those two or some combination of those two next season, whether it means Reese Hoskins isn't back or Nick Castellanos or whatever the case is. Uh, I, I think that he's someone that you need him to show you more with the bat to give him one of those two spots. Cause if not, you're going to give it to a, a, a bat you're more sure of that is going to deliver more power production. But if he breaks out offensively this year, and I, I don't think it's like that much of a stretch, just as someone that it isn't like there, there's guys like Mickey Moniak last year, we should have been able to see through it and kind of say, and the well, he, he did that every see. spring. He did that yeah. every spring. Let's wait and see what happens in the regular season. Uh, with Alec Bohm, like you saw moments during the regular season. I think he generally played pretty well offensively and even defensively for a lot of the playoffs last year. And I think he's out of the mode now where he's like one of the young guys. I, I think the daycare's kind of been dissolved, but even if it hadn't, like I think he's graduated. He's a, a veteran at this point. and whatever happened with the, I F and hate this place. And uh, I do think since then he's learned to live a little bit less with his emotions on his sleeve all the time. And I think that was a problem. And it was something I had asked Joe Girardi about. And then Rob Thompson, it's like, it's great that you want guys to care, but like it feels like he lives and dies with every at bat, every game a little bit too much. I think you've seen a little bit less of that, and I mean, there's going to be trials and tribulations in any season. So I guess we'll see. But being in a better place mentally, I think, has helped him to potentially be able to put together a season this year that has people talking about whether he can be an all star. I do want
1: to ask about the the Reese Hoskins angle of all this, and we can we don't need to do this for super long, but we we talked about it last week how. The extension talks, it seems like everybody in the organization has either had them or finalized them except for Reese Hoskins. And it almost seems like the team is sort of looking for, I I think the the biggest thing that is getting in the way of just choosing to let him walk entirely is who's the internal replacement. And Schwarber and Castellanos are not, um, how do I put this kindly? They're horrible options. Um <laughs> from in my opinion at least and it almost seems like they are looking for a reason to say hey there's something else that we could do here Um, and if they were really backed into a corner and said that there's nobody that they could put there to give them a marginal upgrade or at least let them do something else at third whether that's invest there or save money whatever the case might might be it almost seems like the the one thing standing in the way of Reese Hoskins hitting free agency is that internal replacement or lack thereof. If Bohm, if if this is him, right? If he's a guy who's going to hit for power, he's going to be uh passable to bad in the field but like not, you know, horrendous like we saw in 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 years past or the first couple games of 2022. Does that kind of I mean, does that just raise the bar for Reese Hoskins even more in terms of working out an extension or um Are those two things? Am am I making a a connection there that you think might not be as strong as I'm suggesting?
0: Well, I think there's nothing wrong with for either Hoskins or the Phillies, especially considering Hoskins is a Boris client. Like, he's not going to come in and take a a team friendly extension up front. Like, that's not what Scott Boris clients do. But beyond that it's fair to like question it first of all he's going to be 30 this season like he's not that young so if he wants four or five years then you need to seriously evaluate that especially given some of the other pieces you have and like I agree Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber aren't good options at first base but really neither is Reese Hoskins like Reese Hoskins should be a DH primarily, and that's not an option on the Phillies, at least right now. You're going to have Bryce Harper come back and fill that role. You have Nick Castellanos, who is one of the worst fielding outfielders in baseball, independent of what he does offensively. That's been true for pretty much his whole career. And Kyle Schwarber, like he makes the plays that like when he gets to the ball, he's going to catch it. But there's balls that other outfielders would get to that he doesn't get to. Like he, you feel like he should be a first baseman or a DH. So some of it just comes down to like, what's around Reese Hoskins. Like uh, you have Alec Boehm, maybe you want to move him to first base. You have Nick Castellanos. Maybe you want to get him out of the outfield or maybe you want to trade him. Like if you can trade Nick Castellanos, then maybe you take that money and reinvest it in Hoskins depending on what he wants um I, I don't know and uh, it's also going to depend what reese hoskins wants like I, I think if he wants a three-year deal then great do it if he wants a five-year deal then i think you have to weigh whether josh bell or someone on a shorter term deal or, or moving one of those guys if you think i mean really we have no idea if nick castellanos can play first base we we, yeah. we have nothing to base it on we we'll don't um, know if he can hit Well, that too. But uh, (laughs) we have evidence that he can hit. We don't have it. We have nothing like Kyle Schwarber played some first base. It didn't feel great in Boston, whatever. Nick Cassianis, we have no idea. But the flip side is that if you move one of those guys in, then maybe you sign another corner outfielder and you kind of compare that guy with Reese Hoskins. So it's something that is it's an interesting storyline. But it's not something I expected a resolution to. And frankly, I don't expect it maybe even in this calendar year. Like we will, we will wait and see. I, I felt like entering the po- post last year, the Phillies were probably going to end up going in another direction. That's not based on something I was told. That's just like, I, I felt like they'd probably do something different at first base next season. And then Reese Hoskins had some of the most iconic playoff home runs in Phillies history. And he's a team leader. He's, uh, Reese, uh, Bryce Harper called him the captain like th- there was no way they were trading him after the bat spike last year yeah. and certainly after going on the World Series run and regardless of what his future is he's going to be a key piece this year and this year's as good as any for you to win a championship
1: yeah it seems like we we also touched on this a bit last week too but it seems like the the most logical path for both player and team here is to wait this one out um but Alec Bohm, you know, putting up a year like the one that many people are forecasting certainly is going to play some role in that if it gets to um, September and there's still not a contract worked out. Before we get on to some lineup uh, projections, um, we're going to title this pod, well, is Alec Bohm primed for an all-star year? So I feel like we should just address that question right off the top. Yes or no, is he an all-star this year? And then we can, we can move on.
0: Well, I'll say no just because – Like, yeah, yeah, the fan voting is Nolan Arenado could play five games and he's going to be voted into the all-star game, rightfully so. I mean, not rightfully so, but but he's earned his uh, reputation, as has Manny Machado. Austin Riley has been one of the ten best players in baseball probably over the last two seasons, position players at least. So uh, it it would be – it's going to be hard. It's not impossible, but the thing is working against him is, like, the Phillies aren't a team where it's like they're going to be lacking for other candidates to make the All Star team. Like you have yeah. Nola, Wheeler, Real Muto, uh, Kyle Schwarber, whoever, Trey Turner, obviously. So if he was on, the, if he was on the Pirates, maybe you'd have a different thought on that.
1: Yeah, you won't have the Jeremy Hellickson of the world getting all-star nods with the Phillies this year. Um, I'll say no to for the same reasons, but I think he'll have a great year. I guess also Jeremy Hellickson
0: never now. got an all-star nod with the Phillies. Just Is that right? Or uh, I
1: always thought he was he was one of those guys who <laughs> had to get a nod. Yeah, no, because
0: those like ne-
1: Ken- <laughs> how far we've come. Uh okay, so Tim, you you dropped your third version of the opening day lineup uh projection. On the on the site, why don't you get into a bit of those? Obviously, there are some some locks, some spots still up for grabs. We've um, we've had spring trainings with more um, drama and competition than this one for obvious reasons, namely the team uh, is uh, much improved from the the Jeremy Hallickson teams. Um, so why don't you get into some of that? What what were some of the um, toss up calls that you made? um general thoughts putting that piece out yeah it,
0: it sounds like and their springs are pretty much over unless team usa gets eliminated really early in the world baseball classic it sounds like trey turner is going to be one and kyle Schwarber is going to be two to open the season now yeah, when yeah. bryce harper comes back i don't know if it will make as much sense to have another lefty and kyle Schwarber second but you cross that bridge when you get there and i think speaking of usa world baseball classic Guys, I think JT Realmuto hits third. Uh, I think it's fairly obvious, although I guess you could make an argument for some other people. But I, I think it's pretty easy that you pencil in Reese Hoskins hitting fourth, and then I think it's where stuff gets interesting because based if this is like purely a meritocracy, then Alec Boehm should probably be hitting fifth. But Nick Castellanos is a veteran with a ton of influence on this team. He is someone that. Between 2017 and 2021, no one in baseball had more doubles than him. I think to open the season, he's hitting fifth. Now, it's not going to be the full season. Like, if the results are similar to last year, the plug is going to be pulled on that because you have enough good options to do that. But to begin the season, I think he hits there. And where it gets really interesting is the DH because the DH is going to rotate. Like, if you're facing Jacob DeGrom on opening day – I think the DH is going to be Derek Hall. It could be Jake Cave, but one of those two lefties. But if DeGrom is not healthy and you're facing Martin Perez, then maybe Edmundo Sosa plays third base and Alec Boehm or Reese Hoskins' DH is like, you have a ton of different options. I'm operating under the assumption, though, that Derek Hall is the DH on opening day. I think he hits sixth. And the only reason I have him against Boehm is the last two players in the lineup are Bryson Stott and Brandon Marsh. Yeah. And they're both left-handed hitters. You can't stack three straight left-handed hitters at the bottom of the lineup, especially because you also have another one in Kyle Schwarber hitting near the top of the lineup. Uh, so I think you need Bohm to break them up, either Boehm or Castellanos. And I have Bohm hitting fifth or Bohm hitting seventh right now, breaking up those lefties and uh, Nick Castellanos hitting fifth. But... Uh, I I certainly think you can make the case Alec Boehm should hit above Castellanos. I just tend to think, uh, based off of his career reputation and the fact that he has a lot of good years, that you give Castellanos kind of the right of first refusal. Not that different from how you give Craig Kimball maybe the first chance to close games. But if things don't go right then, yeah, you you talk about moving up Derek Hall, moving up Alec Boehm, whoever is hitting hot, maybe even Bryson Stott, and you go from there. Maybe you move Kyle Schwarber down in the lineup more into the typical power spots, and somebody else goes down to number two, but there's a lot of different options, and I think the the key thing is that, regardless, this is without Bryce Harper, the lineup looks this good. It's going to be really good when Harper comes back, but where do you kind of fall on that number five spot? Assuming you agree on the first four.
1: Well, see, this is where whenever I talk lineups with, with people, uh, this is where they kind of lose me because I'm a big, um, how do I put this? I'm a big instill confidence in your guys, even if it's partially blind because track record matters kind of thing. And I don't know if it's obvious where I'm heading with that, but if it's me, I'm starting the season, Nick Castellanos cleanup. Um, I just think it's, I you're right. If this was a true, you know, put your best guys at the top of the lineup, uh, he would be probably, I think five is maybe generous there. You're probably right that, that you could have Bohm hitting fifth, Castellanos, well, down to number seven, if you're going to hit Hall sixth. So, but I, I, I just like, I, I am one of the people who think that Castellanos is going to bounce back. And I'm kind of, I buy whatever the explanations were for his subpar 2022 subpar is a nice way to put it. Um, I I buy a lot of them. I buy the whole new team, new contract, have to find a place to live. Then everybody knows where you live because it gets leaked. Then you have a kid, you have like the worst timed injuries like possible. And it's just all this sort of congruence is, is that the right word of, of factors sort of, um, you know, again, they, those things alone shouldn't make you, swing at every slider O off the plate to start down 01 and then become a slap hitter when you do put the ball in play hard which is like not or not hard but when you do put put the ball in play at all which is not all the time with him last year um I just think track record matters I I refuse to believe that he's like a bad like just like that um I think that you put him at four. I obviously understand why you wouldn't do that because he was not great last year. And he doesn't look well, he's not putting up huge stats in the spring for, for what it's worth. But I think that there is something to put him at four, give him the confidence, you know, he's here for four more years. You're going to need him to be um at least, you know, believe in himself a bit. And if the team does that, it kind of shows him that, Hey, we're going to try this out again, give you sort of a clean slate and see how it goes. Now, they probably won't do that. They probably will hit, hit Hoskins fourth. So I guess I agree with you on the top four in terms of how it will play out. Um, I am curious what you think about the Turner Schwarber one, two. Um, I, so the 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 leadoff spot had been kind of a topic of conversation ever since Trey Turner signed. Um, now it seems like that's one of maybe two or three spots in the lineup that seems like it's a lock in 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 turn, like he's gonna hit there, which I think is the is the right call. I don't think that, you know, I'm not tied to the old school, or you know the old school like a guy who puts the ball in play is is gonna steal a bunch of bags and is fast and all those kinds of things but I think when you have a guy who profiles this well in that spot you kind of have to put him there and you don't really overthink it so um, but Schwarber number two I was kind of thinking with 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 Harper out Schwarber's probably your best overall hitter and if you're going to have that much power you want to sort of get as many guys above him who can get on base for him I was kind of thinking he would he would hit third Uh, it sounds like Thompson's pretty locked into Turner Schwarber one two what are what are your thoughts on that would you switch Real Muto and Schwarber, I guess that would probably be the way to change that if they were going to going to change it.
0: No, I think I like a guy with a little more on base percentage that's going to hit second. And although Kyle Schwarber maybe didn't do that quite as much last year, I think he's going to be a higher on base guy than Real Muto, most likely. So I would say I think it makes sense to have him hit second. I, I do think when Bryce Harper comes back, like it's a good problem to have, but. You're gonna to have to really think about how you want to do this because I I do think the ideal lineup is Turner one and uh, Schwarber two, but the problem is like the ideal lineup is Bryce Harper bats in the first inning, yeah, and you're not putting Schwarber and Harper back to back, but when Schwar- Schwarber has talked about how he likes heading at the top of the order, and just the fact that he's a threat to hit a home run every time he steps to the plate specifically in the month of June like uh, I don't really think it makes sense to have him hit like fifth either so uh, that that's going to be an interesting debate when that happens you have a lot of left-handed hitters in this lineup uh, at least if if you believe that Brandon Marsh is going to be that like everyday guy in center field regardless of who's Pitching, But you, you don't want to get in a situation where a, an opposing team can bring in AJ Minter or like a, a really good left-handed reliever to face Turner or to face uh, Schwarber and Harper back to back. Now, that's not going to come into play for the first, you know, at least month or two of the season, probably, but it, it is worth considering beyond that. Um yeah I mean how do you feel generally like I know Destiny mentioned the idea of Derek Hall hitting cleanup Mm. uh, which he did do last year but Trey Turner wasn't on the team last year like you had Gene Segura hitting lower in the lineup Turner essentially replaces Segura Turner is obviously not hitting seventh or eighth Uh, and Derek Hall is also not someone that's going to be in the lineup really ever against left-handed pitchers so I don't think it makes that much sense to move like Hoskins and Castellanos down when you're facing right-handed pitching and back up. Like, I I generally think it's good to have some uh, semblance of a routine. And I think Hall hitting sixth probably makes the most sense. Yeah, I think it probably
1: makes the most sense, too, because, you know, the the yeah, I mean who 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 do you trust more from a pure power standpoint? Is it Hall or is it Hoskins? It's probably at this point in their cruise, it's gotta be Hoskins, right? Um, and, and I think it would be hard to- I don't know. If you're say...
0: facing right-handed pitching, it, it is probably closer than we'd want to admit. But like I, I do think there's just something like reputation and uh you mentioned before, like I, I wasn't even thinking of like like, even if Nick Castellanos had a really good year last year, maybe I'd have him hitting three. But, like, I don't know. I don't think of him necessarily, even at his best, as, like, a As clean a, up, a prototypical cleanup.
1: Yeah. No, yeah. That's just because he's going to, I mean, if he's at his best, he's hitting some homers, but he's more so, like, hitting 309. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he might not profile super well in that spot. but. I, I mean, I think a, a lot of this does hinge on whether Castellanos can bounce back in some regard, because if he can't, and it's more of what you saw last year, I mean, I don't see why you don't say, well, why don't we break up the lefties at the bottom of the lineup and hit Castellanos eighth? And then you have Stott probably moving up to number seven, and that means you don't want to hit Hall and Stott back to back, which means you could move Hall up to number four or number five. Um. At that point, I mean, you're probably going to put him at number four because he profiles more as a cleanup guy than as a number five guy. And Hoskins is more, um, I mean, he's not a high batting average guy either, but he's gonna get on base a little bit more, which maybe looks a little bit um, maybe is a little bit more effective in the five hole. But so, but if if Castellanos does become the Castellanos of old the guy that they've signed him for um I think you're you're right that it probably makes a lot of sense to put him at number three um and I actually I don't hate the 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 whole cleanup idea I mean if it especially if you don't really get what you need in the first month or two out of out of Hoskins in in the in in the contract year um boom I mean a lot of this hinges on him too if he's going to tear the cover off the ball like he is now he he could be a candidate to hit three too so um he could yeah be a I
0: mean two even
1: right it, it, yeah exactly so I mean it it just seems like until then if we're talking like you know the first week or the first month um you kind of you don't want to hit Castellano's eighth yet. Although that is the kind of thing where if, if he struggles in in April and the first couple of weeks of may, like he did the way last year, like maybe you just have to accept that this is what you're going to get out of him. And maybe putting him eighth is something that's kind of wakes him up a bit, but in the first week or two, yeah, I, I, I like hall six. I like Hoskins four. I think you probably have it right.
0: Well, the thing about Cassianos is like, I don't think it's a matter of like being woken up really like it's maybe he's too awake honestly like too much like too uh in his head last year and I think the offseason allowed him to reset and we'll ultimately see the results beginning on opening day but like if it gets to a point where you're hitting him eighth I don't know what the hell you're going to do from like a long-term sense because he's still under contract for 60 million the next three seasons but like at that point just having Mundo Sosa play third base And either Boehm goes to first and Hoskins DHs or Boehm DHs. But, like, Nick Cassianos is not in the lineup for his glove. So, if he's not hitting to that degree, then, yeah, I mean, I I think some tough decisions are going to have to be made. But, yeah. I mean, there there really is a scenario where Nick Cassianos bounces back. Like, I I saw – this is kind of the last thing I wanted to get to – uh, and you can remind me of the specifics, but you did a poll on Twitter last week of like, yeah, which one would be if you could g- explain yeah, so, what
1: it. Was. So, so it was if you could take one of these slash lines from one of these guys, um, and whichever player you don't take, you have to kind of like roll the dice and just hope that you get something good, but you don't know if it's going to be good or bad. So it was, it was Castellanos hitting um, 290, 360, 540. 40, which is a 900 OPS. And it was Bohm hitting 300, 350, 500, which is an 850. Um, And so essentially you can take one of those and whichever guy you don't pick, you have to roll the dice. Right. And it got the Castellanos line got 65% of the vote. And I think it's kind of fair because just if you look at the floors, I think Castellanos floor has got to be lower than Bohm's floor right, right now. Um, just because of how bad last year was but if you look at the upside I think Castellanos probably like if you were going to pick one guy to put up a 900 OPS this year like Castellanos is probably your more likely bet right Um, obviously if if Bohm is slugging 500 it means he might be like a low 30s home run kind of guy or at least high 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 20s which is something that not only is bodes well for this year but also makes him like one of the one of the top third basemen in the sport and which is obviously good for the long term um yeah so that was that was kind of my thought i it's yeah. it's 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 obviously a lot of that hinges on how much faith you have in the guy that you don't pick so if you think that um you know castellanos is going to be 2022 him like obviously you're going to take that slash line from him and hope that boom is you know more of what we've seen in spring but I it was it was interesting what what people had to say to that because um it's 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 all a matter of like low floor versus high ceiling kind of thing and I I think you could go either way.
0: Yeah, honestly, I think they both have really low floors because a year ago, like we would have said, yeah. Alec Boehm was coming off a disastrous year. Yeah, barely um, made the team. Wasn't the opening day starter at third base? Like, uh, I it feels like a lifetime ago that Bryson stopped at yeah. third base on opening day, but. I disagree with the results, to be honest with you. Uh, Nick Castellanos has a track record of being yeah. one of the best doubles hitters in baseball. So I'll roll the dice with him because if you get that version of Alec Bohm, if you get is, Boehm slugging 500, that's whew. even the, the on base percentage is significant. Yeah. That's like 30 points, 30, 40 points higher than what he's done in aggregate probably over the last two seasons. So uh, I, I would take that. I think uh if you can get that certainty with Alec Boehm and then you have the pot, look, maybe Nick Castellanos never tops a season he had in Cincinnati, like a lot of people peak hitting at Great American Ballpark. But Nick Castellanos spent a lot of years in Comerica, which is not a hitter friendly park, and he wore mm-hmm. out the gaps in left and right center field. Yeah. And I mean, can I see a scenario where it just doesn't work in Philly with him? Sure. But in this scenario, I mean, you talk about if Alec Boehm is that, and you get Cassianos bounce back to eight seventy OPS. Like, can you imagine? Like, and you with Harper back. Like, you are the Padres. It's going to be almost impossible to beat that top four that they have with Soto, Bogarts, Tatis, and Machado. But in terms of like the length of the lineup, the Padres, uh, like. I guess Bogarts can lead off, but like, they don't have like Hassan Kim was leading off in NLCS games last year. Like you yeah. have the deepest lineup in baseball. I don't think it would even be that close.
1: Yeah, I think you're definitely right. Tim, any final thoughts here as we sort of wrap things up? Anything we didn't quite um, touch on or just anything to get out there before we wrap up the pod here?
0: No, uh, good talking to you, man. And we're getting close to the season.
1: Getting close to the season. Always fun this time of year. Thank you everybody for tuning in. We'll be back with more podcasts and more content. Make sure to always keep up with Tim and what everybody's doing on the site, as well as the podcast feed here. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in.